Father, we don't want to go anywhere where you're not going before us, where you're not leading. So speak to your people, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can I want more of you, God. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love, Lord. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love, Lord. Set a fire down. takes effort to give our focus to him it takes effort to put aside all the cares of of the day that we bring in and just to focus on him and give him worship if your favorite football team is in the Super Bowl and you win plane tickets to go there and you win tickets to sit in favored seats in that stadium, I guarantee you, your thoughts will be on every play. Because it has a place in your heart. Come on. So if we find it's hard for us to actually enter into worship, here's how we fix it. We say, God, come and increase your place in my heart. 
I am, I am saying, yes, Lord. <laughs> Increase the place I've made for you in my heart. There's a few times our kids have been in danger in the way of a moving vehicle or something. You can't believe how fast my husband moves. It's like a father senses danger and there is nothing else in the world. All of his energy and focus and strength is in rescue. Because his sons have his heart. Here's a good prayer for all of us. Father, increase your place in my heart. Increase your place in my heart. So I can feel a dryness in my soul when I haven't worshipped. And I can't wait to get to a point in the day or in the week where I can, I can worship again. Be in your presence. It's the difference between slaves and sons. Jesus said, my father isn't making you a servant. He's making you sons. Sons and daughters. <laughs> That's a heart connection. Right? Thank you, Father. So, Father, increase your, increase your place in our hearts. Stir up a hunger. If we have a hard time even just hungering for more of you, stir up a hunger in us, God. Give us a glimpse into things that are actually true. Eternal things that matter. Show us our need for you. That makes us hungry. Show us how much we need you. We sometimes aren't even aware of our needs, Lord. And so we live small lives because we don't understand what you've actually made us for. So help us, Father. Increase our hunger for you, Lord. Increase our hunger for you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I pray for those in this room, the situations or cares of their lives right now are so heavy and difficult that it's hard to even reach out. They just are being. <laughs> Father, you're close to those who are brokenhearted. <laughs> when we're so broken down, we can't even reach out. Your word says you reach out to us. You come and you are close to those who are brokenhearted. So Father, I pray for those in this room who have things in their shoulders that are crushing. Father, right now in Jesus' name I pray there'd be an assurance that you will never leave them. You will never forsake them. You are reaching out to them when they don't even have the strength to reach out to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You're so good, Lord. You're so good, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. down in my soul that I can't contain that I can't control I want more of you God I want more of you God Sit 
fire down As you were listening for God's voice, um, just seeing what God would speak to you, is there anyone who felt like, I think maybe this isn't just for me, I think maybe this is for everybody? Anybody who had that sense? Did you? You felt like someone had something for everybody or you had something for everybody? Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she was like, no. I said, yeah. (laughs) Anybody sense that what God was speaking to you maybe wasn't just for you, maybe it's for more than just you? Can what you got? (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good word. It's a good word. God is so good. God is so good to meet us and to lead us and to guide us and to grow us up in him. It's a good thing. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. We have been working through, we just started working through the Bible, the story, um, in Genesis chapter 1. And we're not doing that today, but we just have to be back in Genesis. Next week, we'll pick up part two of the story. And then the week after that, we're starting something else that's new. Um, The story working all the way through the Bible is going to happen once a month. Um, but once a quarter, Craig Boer is going to bring us church history. Yes. He said, where should I start? And I was like, well, let's start at the very beginning. Um, so we're going to start with the early church. Um, but Craig, as you know, our resident historian, he's going to take us through church history. It's going to take us a few years, uh, probably, but he'll start with the early church and all the way through. Um, one of the um, biggest issues in the church is facing today is that, as a whole, the church is fairly um, biblically illiterate in terms of the history of the church and who we are and where we've come from, and also um, scripturally illiterate. 
being grounded in the word. And so we want to make sure that we are responsible in the house, that we understand Christianity, where it's come from, and what the, the scope of the story that God is telling uh, through his people, and also scripturally why we believe what we believe. Uh, we should be rock solid in our, in our faith. Rock solid, and we're not just moved by every wind of the new thing that's being said, but the, the word of God stands forever, it says. Kings and kingdoms pass away, but his word stands forever. And so we'll be rooted, we'll be grounded in the word of God. And so next week, we'll continue our, our, our journey through the story of the Bible. And the week after that, we'll have our first church history with Craig, Mr. Boer, in the house. <laughs> All right. We are starting in Genesis chapter 1. A very good place to start. So as you turn there, I'm sure it will take a long time. As you turn there, in Genesis chapter 1, here's what we're talking about today. What does it mean to be a redeemed image bearer of God? What does it mean to be a redeemed image bearer of God? How many of you know that we are image bearers of God? God made us in his image, right? We're marred in the fall, and then we're redeemed from the fall. And so we are image bearers of God who have been redeemed. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's actually a really foundational um, part of understanding who you are in Christ. So we'll start in Genesis 1. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, you're familiar with um, the premise of this because we do come back to it often because it is so foundational. Um, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so God creates man, and then he gives him dominion, right? His creation, he gives man dominion over the earth, and he says, hey, um, multiply. Have lots of kids, <laughs> right? Multiply and subdue the earth. So we're told in Genesis that God had planted this garden, had put the man and the woman in the garden, and has given them dominion over the garden, but also gave them over dominion over the earth. And if they have to go subdue it, this is before the fall, if they have to go subdue it, then there are things happening on the earth that look different than what's happening in the garden. Right, where there's perfection, there's obviously some place on earth where it doesn't, there doesn't have that perfection. And so before even the fall of man, there was this partnership God was forging we have some work on this earth to do together. And I've made you in my image to partner with me, um, meaning we can choose, right? We choose to partner with him or choose not to partner with him, but there's a mission. How many of you know before the fall, we were already made for work? We were made to have lives that produce something good, right, as we partner with him. Genesis 2 then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> oh, there's a typo in my, um, 
in my version. Do you burn it if there's a typo? I don't know. Um, Put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, how many of you know you can't make free will beings than not give them choice? Or they're not actually free will beings. Why did God put that tree there? Well, how about this? Um, If you're dating someone, let's say you're a guy in the room, you're dating some, you're dating a lady. You think she's pretty special. Uh, You hope she loves you too. And so you lock her in in your basement just to make sure. Uh, Yeah, that's not actually how it works, right? Um, She gets to make a free will choice. Right? The other one's a really creepy story. Why? Because at the very core of us, we feel like it's wrong that someone wouldn't have a choice, that they would be forced into relationship in that way. God does not force us into relationship with him. He offers relationship. He keeps his end of the bargain in a relationship. But we have free will. And so what we see demonstrated here in Genesis 2 is that God gives him free will. Here's what it looks like to partner with me and what we're doing together. Um, And here's what it looks like not to partner with me. And how good is God? I'm going to give you every single, single, single thing. Of this one tree, I'm going to set aside one thing for myself. And you see all through scripture, God has set aside for himself. He will set aside certain things for himself and say, you can have all of this, this one thing I'm going to have. And what do people constantly have problems with in scripture? Touching God's stuff. You can have 90% of the plunder of everything you take in this battle. Just 10%. I want you to set that aside. He gave you 90. Why are you touching his 10? Right? God is always so generous. Were they going to be devoid of the knowledge of good and evil? No. Because who had that knowledge? God. And he was going to walk with them and talk with them. He was going to instruct them in the things that he knew would harm them. He was going to introduce them to these things from his point of view and in ways that shielded them from harm. When they choose, the serpent comes and we know he's the devil because in the Revelation, it calls him out. That old serpent, Slewfoot, right? The devil. No one says Slewfoot anymore, but it is so good. I just want to I'm going to keep it going for, for future generations. Slewfoot, um, right? That old serpent, the devil, he comes and tempts them. Why? What was Satan? What was his big temptation? I will be like God. Not under his thumb. So he comes to the man and woman and says, hey. So God says, you can't eat of trees. He didn't say they couldn't eat fruit. They can eat the thousands of fruit. <laughs> this one, this one is his. So he's a liar from the beginning, right? What's his beginning messaging? He deprives you. He's not taking care of you. Look how he's withholding from you. And so they eat of the tree, and what happens? When they were, he's like, you could be like God. You know, you can go good and evil for yourself. Be like God. Same temptation today. What's right and wrong? 
well, I know what's right and wrong. I can read it in the word. That doesn't pass away. But every single culture has new ideas of right and wrong. And there's intense cultural pressure for people to abide by that. Well, the Bible is such an archaic book. Dude, it's going to outlast you. When you are dead in your grave, it will still be here. People will still be preaching from it. It is so good that we are still preaching the same word for thousands of years. I mean, come on. That's not like a ding against it. That's like a... Every single generation, you, you can decide good and evil for yourself. You don't need God for that. You decide it for yourself. They eat of the tree, what immediately happens? Yeah. Are they happier? <laughs> Did life get better? Now, because they've been introduced to sickness and sin, and right, they've been introduced to what evil produces, the way evil is, the knowledge of good and evil, in a way that's corrupted, now what happens? They're full of shame. So much so they hide themselves from God. Are they happy frolicking around the garden doing the stuff that they would be doing? No. Now their time is wasted. They're in fear and anxiety, hiding in shame behind bushes from God, who, come on, right? Whatever amount of time they spent there, wasted, right? So now their life has become about how do we hide stuff? How do we deal with our shame? How do we deal with our anxiety? How do we deal with all this stuff? Now, if God was telling them to subdue the earth, were they going to see things that were bad? Probably. They were gonna see things that were broken but he was gonna guide them in that and shield them from what they're experiencing now when they decide we don't need God. We will decide for ourselves, we will be God. We're bigger than evil, we're bigger than sin. We can handle it, dude. We are like, our lives are vapors. <laughs> we absolutely have to navigate the things of this world with our hand firmly in his hand. You can't navigate it through human wisdom. You have to navigate every single situation in this world through godly wisdom. What he says is true. How many of you discovered that? Right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. Right? There are things that even seem kind of right. Like, this seems good, and man, that seems, that's loving. Or why are we putting names on it that sound good? But in the end, it leads to death if it's not God's way. You see what I'm saying? So he, here's the thing about this. Uh, we live in a culture where porn is everywhere. And porn is destructive on every level, right? For people that are in it, for people that observe it, it's just destructive. It's just a destructive thing. Um, and I can't get into all the reasons why, but I'm just gonna assume we agree in the room, it's destructive. Okay, I have three sons. It is not possible that growing up in this culture, they're not going to be exposed to porn. At some point, some little dude in class at school is going to have a magazine from his house or the internet, or the, right? At some point, they're going to get exposed. You can't. As a parent, I can't live in fear and say, they will never be, they're going to be exposed. So as parents, what are we doing? We are guiding them through what God says is true about men and women. 
What God says is true about sex. What God says is true about covenant and how good covenant is, right? And how honoring a covenant with a woman is. And they're not to be used. <clears throat> We're guiding, because when they get exposed to it, we want all of this godly understanding about what's true about them and what's true about other people to be totally filling their minds so that they can actually navigate what they see and what they're exposed to. Because we love them and we know the harm that sin can do to them. We understand the good and the evil in that situation. We want them to understand desire is a good thing. It comes from God. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And let's just be honest. <laughs> Absent desire, nobody would be fruitful and multiply. There are no studies done on that, but I would be willing to bet. Absent desire, nobody would be fruitful and multiply. On several levels. Let's just take it from this level, which is pretty safe to say in a, in a mixed room. After the first childbirth, every woman would be like, absolutely not. <laughs> Done. Done. But God has given us something good, desire, which is I want to be with my husband. No matter how terrible that was. Right? That was awful. But... But I have a desire for it. That's a good thing, right? So in teaching them right and wrong, we're not saying bad, 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 bad. We're saying good. Here's what's good. Here's what's good. Here's what's good. Here's what's good. So the bad looks as cheap and as nasty as it is. God wanted to guide them. He wasn't withholding information from them. As they confronted things, he would have guided them into good and evil in ways that protected them. But Satan always has a lie. Figure things out and then tell God how to bless your plans. Isn't that how we so often pray? God, if you would just do this for this person, if you would just do this, if you would just, God, this is how that could work out. Right? Still in control. I'll be in control. And then I'll tell you what to bless. <laughs> when really he's saying, come to me, learn of me. Now watch for what I'm doing. Watch for what I'm saying and join me in it. Right? He knows the keys to people's hearts. He knows the keys to situations. Genesis chapter 3, what happens after the fall? Verse 1. The serpent says, Did God really say to you, you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Not what he said. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. Not true. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of her to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now they're on a whole different mission than what God put them on. 
They're sewing fig leaves with vines? I don't know. Like that would be a hard sewing class, right? Now they've got to do all these things to cover up all the shame, all the junk. They're on a whole different mission than what God had for them. Okay, so what happens in the fall? We know what happens next in Genesis 3. God comes and says, hey, here's the new reality. Now sickness and death has entered the world. We know that from Romans, right? Now sickness and death has entered the world. So here's what things look like now. And he tells them, he says, listen, to the man, he says, listen, work's going to be hard now. Like you were made to work and produce good things, but now there will be futility in work. I think I actually have a slide maybe that shows different things that are broken in the fall. Yeah, there we go. Everything is marred in the fall. Everything is broken. Our relationship to God, four main areas, our relationship to God and our reflection of his image is broken. It's marred. Our relationship from person to person is broken. What's the first thing that happens when God shows up? Adam and Eve blame each other. She gave it to me. <laughs> right? He, right? They're, now they're arguing for the first time ever. Because now relationship with each other is broken. Now we live in all kinds of self-protection and, right? Got to look out for number one. We live in this, we're born to this isolation. So our relationship with each other is broken. Number three, our relationship with the physical world is broken through Adam's sin. So sickness and death enter the world at that point. Work, there's a futility now about work. How many of you work jobs where there are steps where you're like, what idiot made this plan? <laughs> how many triplicates do we need to write? I mean, how many, there's redundancy often in work. Sometimes the work is futile. The ground does not cooperate with you as you're farming, right? Now there's a futility about work. There's all kinds of silliness you've got to cut through to get something done. Anybody ever feel like that in work? Work becomes difficult. Fourth thing, our inner world and our relationship even to ourselves is broken in the fall. Your worst arguments aren't with other people. Your worst, most demeaning arguments probably happen in your own mind. <laughs> Our spirit and our flesh are at war with each other, right? Our spirit that wants to love God, serve God, worship God, at war with our flesh. And so everything gets broken in the fall. Everything's broken. Everything's marred. And that's the fallen world. That's the world that we live in now. Here's the good news. God doesn't leave us that way. In Genesis 3, he says to the woman and to the serpent, he says to the serpent, one is coming from the woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Because through this childbearing that now has become difficult, down the line will come Jesus. And while he would be wounded, he was going to crush the enemy in all of his works. And now we get to live in a time where the world is still fallen. But now Jesus has brought it. There's the kingdom of this fallen world, but Jesus has brought his kingdom with him. And we can make the same choice we made in the garden. We can partner with him or not partner with him. But we have a choice to make because there are two different kingdoms and they look radically different. And you behave radically different depending on which one has a hold of your mind. Do you know that you can be a Christian? You've repented of your sins. You've given your life to God. And your entire mind can be full of this fallen world and how it works and human wisdom and how to deal with it. 
The Bible says you want transformation. You can be saved, but you want transformation? Transformation comes through the renewing of your mind. Get your mind in agreement now with the choice you made to give your life to Jesus. And as you renew your mind, you see people differently. You see situations differently. Now when you're confronted with things, you go to the Word and say, well, what does the Word say about that? Not just what's the human wisdom. What did Oprah tell me last week, right? Now you go to the Word. What does it say about this? Because the Word is life. Okay, Romans 5. We are marred image bearers of God because of the fall. But then, Romans 5. It says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, Christ died for the marred image bearers. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, marred image bearers, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so marred image bearers of God now become redeemed image bearers of God. As I put my faith in Christ, as I give him my life, what happens? This marred image bearers who bear, who had no strength, who was not reaching out or calling to God, God came and called to me and I got to make a choice, right? To join him while I was still a sinner. And now this marred image bearer has been reconciled to God. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are a redeemed image bearer of God because of Christ's work on the cross. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. 2 Corinthians 5, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Marred image bearers of God are now new creations in Christ. In his image, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all, things are, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So good. So good. Now as we put our faith in Christ, we are a new creation. All that old stuff is passing away. We're becoming new in him. And not only that, now we're partnering with him, right? As ministers of reconciliation. 
So think about this. What does it mean to be a redeemed image bearer of God? What does that mean? How does that affect who we are and who Christians have been? Well, if you believe that every single person was made in the image of God, whether they are still marred image bearers or whether they are redeemed image bearers, if you believe that every single person was made in the image of God, then what begins to happen? It changes how you think and how you act. This is why Christians have, have historically been so pro-life. It's not because we want to control anybody else. It's because we believe that babies are, are made in the image of God. That they are as much people as we are. They have souls. And so for the weakest among us who can't speak for themselves, we find it incumbent upon us that every image bearer of God has worth. Every image bearer of God has dignity. It's why Christians spend so much time in prisons. <laughs> you look at who's going into prisons voluntarily to minister. Overwhelmingly, it's Christians. Why? Because we believe that every single human being, as long as there is breath in their lungs, there is a chance. There is a chance that they could become redeemed image bearers of God. That as long as there's breath in your lungs, you haven't gone too far. That he can't reach you. And we feel compelled to partner with him in doing that. It's why Christians start things like clothes exchanges and goodwills and hospitals. How many hospitals are, were, churches started them? I was just at St. Joe's last week doing some labs. Guess what? Christians started that. <laughs> why? Because there was a day when many communities didn't have hospitals. So Catholic churches and Lutheran churches and Presbyterian churches, all, they're starting hospitals to help people in need. What compelled them to do that? They weren't making money off of it. Because they believe that every single person is made in the image of God and has dignity and worth. It changes how you think about people. The Salvation Army, YMCAs. Think about so many things in our culture that were started to help people in community because we have a belief that human beings have dignity and worth. And especially if you're struggling, it's incumbent upon us to reveal the glory of God to you. Or if you know the glory of God and you've hit a hard spot, we want to partner with you because you're family. Right? This is why we do what we do. Not because we've got it all together, because he rescued me. And now I've become a partner in this reconciliation. It's why Christians by far, by far, give more to charity than any other people group in every first world country. Christians by far give more to charity than any other people group in every single first world country. And I would suspect it's the same in the second and the third world. It's just no one studied it that I know of. Why? Why do we give money away to help people we don't know many times? Because deep within us, <laughs> we see what Christ has done for us in redeeming us. And we feel compelled to partner with him. Every single person, image bearer of God. So we've been redeemed. We're redeemed image bearers of God. Redeemed for what? First and foremost, to know him. We have been redeemed to know him. If you think back to the garden, what happened with Adam and Eve regularly? 
they walked and they talked with God. They hadn't made it out of the garden to do their work yet. They hadn't subdued anything yet. But they had a relationship with him first. They're having so much fun. Are we good? Are we good? It's okay. We can. Right? They were walking and talking with God. When they go and hide themselves, they know that God is there to walk and talk with them. How do they know? If you read the text, it says they heard the leaves moving as he walked. So they weren't just like, hey, we kind of sense God in the sunrise, right? He was physically manifesting and walking and talking with them. He made them to know them. He made them for relationship. And he comes for his walk. And they're hiding in shame. He's redeemed us to know us, that we would know him, that he would know us and walk in relationship with us. If you haven't had a chance to, uh, many of you, my father passed away this summer and my brother did his funeral eulogy. It was so powerful. How many of you heard it? Craig's, wasn't it? You kind of just want to sit there for a minute and be like, let me just soak that. Let me just soak that in. Nobody talk for a minute, right? It was so powerful. Um, but the crux of it was we're made to know God. We're made to know God. And in the end, when we will stand before him, what does he say to those who are judged unworthy? He says, I never knew you. I never knew you. We were made to know God. We were made to walk and talk with God. We were made to hear his voice. And the Bible tells us all the time he'll speak to us if we'll listen. James says, chapter one, if you want to know what God, wisdom from God about a situation, ask him and he will tell you. <laughs> he wants us to know him. And we have a need to be known by him. That's the point. We're redeemed to know him. So listen, if you're in this house and you're, maybe you, you're a Christian, but your Christianity has been boiled down to like, I should do the right thing. I should make better choices. Then you haven't understood what being a Christian is actually all about. Because it's first and foremost about knowing God and being known by him. And even if you're ashamed, hiding in the weeds, he'll call your name when you get to still make choices. How many of you have days where you're ashamed hiding in the weeds. And what does he do? He's still faithful to come for the walk and call your name and you get to make choices. We've been redeemed to know him and be known by him. And we've been redeemed to partner with him in his work. There was always work. Before the fall, there was always work and there's work for us to do now. Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, I am making all things new. We just read in Corinthians, he's reconciling all things to himself. He's calling to every person now, be reconciled. And Corinthians says he calls through us. We plead with people now, be reconciled to God. When you, the person at work that you can't stand the most just irritates you, just rubbed you wrong. You look at them and you know something bad has happened. They're having a bad day, something bad has happened, right? And you'd be most likely to walk out of the room, because, right? Give them their space. It's fine with you because they're irritating. 
But what happens, the Holy Spirit in you says, go and plead with them. Go plead with them. And that's why you walk across the room and say, hey, how are you doing? Seem low today. Can I pray with you? What's going on? There are so many people who just that is enough for them to be saved. There are so many people where I've just started, I thought maybe they need a whole thing. I just went and said, hey, can I pray with you about that? And they're just undone. And I was like, man, I know Jesus. He walks with me every day. You can know him too. Do you want to? And they're like, yeah. Like, they're ready for whatever. What must I do to be saved? They don't even know everything I'm talking about, which I'll explain to them, right? I explain to them, like, Jesus died for your sins. I explain all that. But you know what? Sometimes God puts us in a position where we're with people who are so low, they just know whatever I've had up till now isn't it. And if you've got something, I yes. <laughs> what must I do to be saved? <laughs> There's low-hanging fruit everywhere. The fields are ripe for harvest. So we partner with them as ministers of reconciliation. There are believers you run into, and they need another believer to care enough to reach out and say, come on, we can walk together. We can walk together. Second Corinthians 5, 17, we didn't read this part, but it says, we now regard no man as just flesh and blood right? Because of this newness that God has made in us, now we see everything differently. And we don't look at any human being as just flesh and blood, right? We know because our spirit has come alive. They are more than just their physical body. They are also image bearers of God, whether they're marred image bearers of God still or redeemed image bearers of God. They bear the image of God. And we can call to that thing. Occasionally you'll see on Facebook things get shared People will say, this restores my faith in humanity because someone helped someone or something, right? And I think, no, it's our humanity that's the problem. What you just saw was that person remembered their image bearer of God and they did something that reflects his glory. Even people who aren't saved yet, at times, that marred image comes through and there's kindness, right? And there's goodness. Where's that coming from? Not our humanity. It's coming from the fact we were made in the image of God. And those impulses toward righteousness, even before we're saved, reflect his glory that we could be saved. Yeah? So tomorrow when you wake up, if you know like God has ordered your steps, you're partnering with him, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't the enemy, right? We actually, God has plans for us and his plans are so much better and they're so much bigger than just like, how do I make more money to get the next thing, right? Once you turn, once you, once you allow God to change and renew your mind, you might even be doing the same stuff, but now there's redeemed object, objectives behind it. You might work at the same place, but now you have an eternal perspective about these people and about that paycheck and about that, right? And this is how we get to live in freedom and not fear and shame and anxiety and, right? And that heaviness, because we remind ourselves, God has ordered my steps. I'm partnering with him. He's not just saying like, how did you do today? Did you check the boxes today? He's walking with me today. And I'm learning how to walk with him. And he knows I'm still learning, right, how to walk with him. And so I can have a level of joy and a buoyancy in my life because my, my, my joy and my peace is not dependent on my circumstances. 
because he's making all things new in my life and he has ordered my steps. And so what if we really began to believe that the degree to which we live a meaningful life, a life that produces amazing things, has nothing to do with other people's choices and everything to do with my surrender to him. Because people can come against you, but he fights those battles. It's not that life will go easy. Their things will be hard. But what if no matter who comes against you, God can put you where he wants you? What if your job is just a resource and not your source? Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You can work well, you get a bum boss, you know what, he does not control your life. You can still have grace and peace and they can't understand it because they're being jerks to you. But that's just a resource, not your source. And so you don't live in anxiety about that. What if I can wake up and say, nobody owes me anything because I'm fully surrendered to God. He's ordered my steps, I'm partnering with him. We have a mission that he made for the two of us from the foundation of the earth, he knew it. And so I don't have to worry about whether everyone's giving me the respect I think I need or the attention I think I deserve or the, right, appreciation. What if nobody owes me anything? And I could just walk in peace. God, I'm walking with you. You see me, you know me, you honor me. How free is that life? when you can fully live as a redeemed image bearer of God, made in his image, there is nobody else on this earth that was made more in his image than you. <laughs> You'd stand. Worship team, if you come on up. Prayer team, if you come on up. We're gonna take some time to worship and respond to the word. And so here's what I would ask of you. as we think about what it means to be redeemed image bearer of God, as you ask these really fundamental questions like, who am I? What am I here for? These are basic questions that every human being asks, right? Who am I? What am I here for? Think about God's plans for you. Think about the fact that he created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He's ordered your steps. Before the foundation of the earth, Christ died for you. And you can know God and partner with God. What does that mean about who you are and what you're here for? What's God stirring up in you today? Maybe it's revelation about something. Maybe he's put something on your mind. Maybe you're carrying some pain and he wants to begin to process that and deal with that. I don't know what it is, but let's respond to him. In this window of time that we have, you're welcome to come forward and worship if you like. If you want to come forward to the front and worship, um, just freely, you're welcome to. If you want to pray with someone, there's folks on each side that can pray with you. There's folks in back that can pray with you. Every believer in the house has the kingdom. They can pray with you too. But let's take some time to respond to God in worship and respond to God in prayer. And let him work this out. You, if you are a believer in Christ, you've put your faith in Christ for salvation. You are a redeemed image bearer of God. A redeemed image bearer of God. It's profound. So with the short time you have on earth, our life is a vapor. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Let's take some time. Let's respond to him. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love
his goodness <laughs> we reflect his glory think of what would change just in Jackson County surrounding areas if we really began to understand we are image bearers of God marred image bearers of God redeemed image bearers of God but image bearers of God what changes when we look at people that way someone who God has made to know and to be known what happens to racial tension? When every person you look at, black, white, you realize it's made in the image of God. Men, women, made in the image of God. Equal heirs of salvation. Every man I look at, I think that man was made in the image of God. Every woman you look at, she's made in the image of God. What changes? What changes? poor, rich, made in the image of God. James says we have no favoritism. Whether you're rich or poor, equal heirs of salvation. <laughs> what changes if just we live that out? That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Real quick. Some of you um, saw, but Kevo's in the house. Kevin's in the house. So six months done. Six months under his belt. So good. Six months left. Little less. Little less now. You want to say anything? Kevo, you know. Five and, a half, five and a half months left. Um, I love you guys. Um, I thank you guys for your love, your support. Even in my brokenness, I know that Christ loved me, and that's because you guys were there to throw your arms around me and just love me. And I'm not there yet. I'm not ever going to get to a point to where I've made it until I meet Jesus and, I, and I've passed away. But I know that the fight that I have to keep fighting to, for freedom, for the love that Christ has for me, that I can accept it and that I can um, 
just give it to other people because I can understand how much Christ loves me and because of what you guys have done for me, the prayers that you guys have prayed for me and been there just to throw your arms around me and said, keep fighting, keep going. And in my weak times, you guys were there to literally bring me along to give me strength and, um, you know, because that's what we are. We are a family. We are, you know, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know, honestly, where I would be without you guys. And I thank you guys. And so even though every day is hard, I know that there is an end point. And that is amazing and just to think about that it like there will become a time that hopefully like this will all be behind me and I can keep going and that there will be new chapters and new things and there will be a newness that I have not experienced yet um, once I'm done with you know life challenge and to know that I can come home to a family that loves me and cares for me and um, you know and that everything that I'm learning and getting free from the bondage and shame that has tried to shut me up for so long, um, you know, like, that we, I can come here and, I, like, this church will be a church family that backs me and supports me and anything and everything that God has for me. So, um, I just say thank you guys for all your love and support again. So, thank you. making all things new. He's good. He's good. Just last minute. Can we just sing this together before we pray? Oh, what a Savior Isn't He wonderful Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is Jesus. 
as we go out into our mission field, each one of us, redeemed image bearers of God. If you're not a redeemed image bearer of God, you know you're far from Him. There are so many people in this church love you, put their arms around you, will give you guidance and, and restoring that relationship. Any of the folks who are praying, any believer in the house can do that. Don't leave how you came. Today's the day of salvation. Amen. But as we leave, redeemed image bearers of God, let's leave with eyes that see and ears that hear what he sees and hears. <laughs> and let's come back next week with testimony <laughs> of what God is doing through his people, making all things new. Amen. Again, if you're newer in the house, we would love to have you for lunch upstairs. Maybe you've come for a while, but you're ready to take a next step in and, and um, get more connected. We'd love to have you upstairs for lunch. I know young adults too are going out for lunch and different things happening, but take time to at least encourage somebody if you're heading home. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you.